You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. gone from Jacob, the heel catcher, the supplanter, which indicates the type of a life that this man would live up until this point, the deceiver, taking advantage of every person and every situation that he possibly can. The name change, Israel, which now indicates who he had become. And remember, this is exactly what God wants to do in each and every one of our lives. He loves you so much that he won't allow you to continue the way that you once were. You see. What kind of life did you live before coming to know and follow Jesus? Was it similar to how you live now? Or was it a drastic 180 from an entire different way of living? Today in his message, Pastor Mike brings us to where God changes Jacob's name to Israel. What an amazing event to be known as one person, but then to be recognized by God of the universe as an entirely new and different person. The same goes for you and I today. God wants to change us for our good, to love Him and others fully. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 32 as he continues his message, Why God Crippled. Notice there in verses 41 and 42, in chapter 31, he says, Thus I have been in your house 20 years. I served you 14 years for your two daughters, and then six years more for your flock. And you have changed my wages 10 times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands, and he has rebuked you last night. So do you see that there? Acknowledging the fact that God had intervened on his behalf. Okay, so we read on, and then, so Jacob rebukes his uncle, and so what they do then is enter into this covenant, and they set up a pile of stones, And it's recorded for us in chapter 31 and verses 44 through 46. And it sort of becomes a line of demarcation. And neither of these two parties, Uncle Laban as well as Jacob, were to pass over it. It sort of became a line of demarcation, okay? And to separate one group from the other. Notice in verse 52 of chapter 31, this heap of stones is a witness, and this pillar is a witness, that I will not pass beyond this heap to you. 
and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. And so his uncle Laban, finally, as you read on here, again, I'm just summarizing, bids them farewell, but Jacob can never return that way again because they have this understanding. They've entered into this government. Now, at the same time, let's jump ahead now to chapter 32. Jacob, we are told in the first couple of verses of Scripture there in chapter 32, had sent messengers ahead to let his brother Esau know that he was coming home. It's been 20 years, folks. 20 years, and finally he's heading home. But the messengers come back, and this was the news that they brought back to Jacob. We met your brother Esau. We gave him your message, and guess what? He is coming to meet you, but he's not alone. He's armed himself with 400 men. And obviously, Jacob realizes here that Esau's anger, even after 20 years, is still festering. And he realizes that his life is in danger. Remember the vow that Esau swore to kill him because he had ripped off his birthright and the patriarchal blessing. So now, he's caught between the proverbial rock and a hard place. Remember, he can't go back to Haran. Why is that? Because the pillar of stones. He can't cross over and back to Laban, his uncle Laban, but he can't go forward neither because of the 400 armed men that's with his brother Esau who swore the vow to kill him. And thus, there's no place to go. And so in front of you, you have a brother angry. Behind you, you got an angry uncle with all of his sons. Folks, he shut down nowhere to go. Now, let me ask you the question. Where do you go when you can't go forward and you can't go backward? Where do you go? You go upward, right? Duh. Towards God. And that's exactly what Jacob did. At least he was smart enough to know that. In chapter 32, beginning in verse 9, then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all of your mercies and all of the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff and now I have become two companies. In other words, God has blessed him and increased him in every way possible. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, and you know what? He's scheming and connivering in this prayer. Notice he reminds God of the promise that he made to him. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Okay, so it's sort of very interesting here. As soon as he finishes praying, rather than just leaving it with God, as throughout the scriptures we are encouraged to do exactly that, cast all of your care, your burden upon him, because he cares for you, just leaving it with the Lord. Notice here, as we read on, 
Like, for example, in verse 13, as soon as he finishes praying, he calls his servants in. He separates from himself these herds, 200 goats, 20 he goats, and so on. And now he actually becomes three companies and groups of people. And what's going on here is these 200 goats and the 20 he goats are gifts that he's going to send before him seeking to wear his brother Esau down with hopes of before the actual encounter takes place, you know, Esau would be reconciled back to his brother. But he's still scheming. Do you see that? Then what was left of his company, so the first company goes out with the gifts, then what was left of his company was divided into two groups. And he's thinking, listen, if I can't wear my brother Esau down with the gifts, this company that I won't be a part of with my wives and my children, over here, they'll go before me and fight against Esau, and I'll have the opportunity to escape and run, because at least they'll hold them off for a while where I will be able to escape. So it's all set up. But notice, he's plotting this whole thing out, right? And then that brings us finally to our text. Have you been with me all of the while? Okay, so finally we're at our text this morning. A long way to go. But we're more than three quarters finished with our message as well. So it brings us to our text. And now in chapter 32, let's pick up in verse 22. And he arose that night, and he's plotted, everything is in motion. He takes his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 sons and crosses over the fjord of Jabbok. He took them sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. And then Jacob was left alone. And probably the reason why he was left alone is he's going to take some more time out uh, to pray. And a man, and again, I think we've already established the fact that this was no ordinary man. It was either an angel or Christ himself, wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And then in verse 25, as this match continues between who I believe was Christ and Jacob, the Lord realizing Jacob wouldn't give up, he touches his hip, the muscle is shrunk, causing the hip to lock out of joint. He's now gone through this painful experience, and as I mentioned before, he's reduced to a cripple. And then in verse 26, right? And the Lord said, now let me go, because it's daybreak. And Jacob began to cry, and Jacob began to weep. Let's pick up in verse 26. And he said, let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob, the heel catcher, the supplanter. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. And we talked about this last time. He went through this dramatic name change, gone from Jacob, the heel catcher, the supplanter, which indicates the type of a life that this man would live up until this point, the deceiver, taking advantage of every person and every situation that he possibly can. The name change, Israel, which now indicates who he had become. 
And remember, this is exactly what God wants to do in each and every one of our lives. He loves you so much that he won't allow you to continue the way that you once were, you see. He wants to change your name into Israel. And what does that name, Israel, indicate? Well, a couple of things. It can be literally translated Prince of God or someone who is governed by God. And in each case, that's a great way to be recommended by anyone. Someone who is a prince of God, someone who is absolutely and totally governed by God. And so the Lord said, now let me go. It's daybreak. And Jacob began to cry and began to weep. And then he undergoes this name change. And so in verse 30, Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. And therefore to this day the children of Israel did not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. So Jacob prevailed, we are told here in our text, against the Lord. Now, how did Jacob prevail? He's a cripple. Well, you know, I think that another portion of Scripture sheds some light and answers this question for us in Hosea chapter 12 in verse 4, the first part of verse 4. Yes, he, that is Jacob, struggled with the angel or the messenger and prevailed. How did he prevail? He wept and sought favor from him. So what's the answer? How do any of us prevail with God? It's through brokenness, folks. It's through humility. It's through submission. You see, God loves Jacob, but Jacob is a conniver. Jacob is a schemer. Yet God wants to do many things in and through Jacob's life. Now hold on to that, though, because that's the very thing that God wants to do in your life. It may not be as you know, great a task or a plan, but it's just as important to God, and it should be just as important to you as it should have been to Jacob. You know, the plan that God has for you might be just as a mother raising your children for God in your home and instilling within them a godly heritage or being the right kind of a Christian businessman, doing everything above board not anything underhandedly. Whatever your calling may be, but God has a plan. He wants your testimony to be powerful. He wants you to be a light shining in the midst of darkness, you see. He wants you to be the salt and the light. So this was God's plan for Jacob. It certainly differs from all of what God has for us to do, but there were things that he wanted to do in and through his life, but he couldn't because of who Jacob was, the conniver, the schemer. He wanted to bless him even more than he had already blessed him, but he couldn't. For Jacob, God's plan was that he was to be the father of Israel. He was to bear 12 sons that would later on become the 12 tribes of Israel, through which the Messiah, Christ, would come forth through that nation, through his seed. But all of the marvelous plans of God could not be wrought in and through Jacob's life. Why? Because he was self-willed and self-reliant and self-sufficient. You know, I wonder how much of God's plans 
are hindered because of who you are and your character and your temperament and your unwillingness to completely submit and surrender to God. Your life could be so much better, so much fuller, so much greater. But we're holding on to these things, you know? Like they're the things that are going to bring us fulfillment and satisfaction. But just the opposite is true. And so anyway, just something that I want you to to consider. Please consider that. And so anyway, the Lord wrestles with him all night, right? And reduces him to a crippled. And he has no other recourse whatsoever. Even in prior to him being completely shut down and reduced to a cripple, God brings the pressure of his uncle coming, but that doesn't break Jacob. He sets up the stones. He thought to himself, hey, listen, I don't want to come back this way any, anyhow. There's nothing back there for me. And so he just kind of writes that off, right? And then the messengers bring news of Esau. I'm trying to define for you how God shut him down. With the 400 armed men, he thinks, well, that's pretty bad. I better pray. He prayed. We've already discussed that. Then immediately, once again, starts to scheme. He resorts to old tricks. He sends the gifts ahead of him, seeking to wear his brother Esau down. And then finally, he thinks, if all else fails, I'll run. He still isn't broken up until that point. And so the Lord wrestles with him all night and makes him so weary He won't be able to, if he's going to run, he's not going to get very far because of all of the weariness. But even then, he's hanging on. And God says, sorry, Jacob. And thus he touches his hip, and Jacob finally cries, uncle. I've had it. I can't run. That's the end of my scheming. I'm shut down. And he begins to weep and cry according to our text. And you see, it was then that Jacob came to the end of himself, crying out, oh God, help. And now finally, God could do for the man what he was looking to do all along. But unfortunately, think about this. Before God could do that, what he wanted to do, he was seeking to do, he had to cripple him. Now that should raise the question in all of our minds, Did God have to go to that extreme? Did God have to go to that extreme to reduce him to a cripple? Well, yes, in Jacob's case. But it didn't have to be like that. Even while wrestling with him, Jacob didn't give up, did he? So let me ask you another question. Did Jonah have to spend three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish? Had he gone directly to Nineveh, When God told them to go to Nineveh, to pronounce that if they didn't repent in 40 days, God was going to judge them. If he would have just gave himself to that, he would have never had to meet that great fish and be swallowed by him and live in his belly for three days. Listen, you think you can hide from God. You can't. You think you can run from God. You can't. You think that you can do it on your own. You can't. And the truth of the matter is, you're only making it tough on yourself. 
And so anyway, what's the secret of victory? What's the secret of prevailing? It's simply by completely surrendering your life. Okay, as we close out this morning's message, let's turn this around and focus it on you and upon me. Maybe you have been wrestling with God, and only you know that. And you know all of the details, right? I'm not asking you to offer them up or share it. You know, this is just between you and the Lord. But maybe you have been wrestling with God. Maybe you have come to your own end. God has just totally shut you down. Maybe God has touched you and crippled you in one way or another. Or maybe you're just about to that point, and you've been wrestling and you've been fighting with God. And you won't give in. You won't surrender. You're still manipulating. You're still scheming. And God, in his love, you can be sure, is going to shut you down. But as you come to that place, praise God, if you will just cry out to God for help, guess what? You'll find that that's the beginning of a new and glorious work of God in your life as he begins to take over and brings his plan to pass in your life. How does that happen? By complete surrender versus stalling the work of God. You don't even know it. You know, God has so much more. And listen, I think there's a little bit of Jacob in each and every one of us. I know I can only speak for myself. But God wants to do so much more in your life. we got to get rid of that self-reliant kind of a spirit, scheming, manipulating. Now, just one last thought. Now, after wrestling with Jesus, he's left to himself. Remember, he had placed his wives and his children in a safe location. And now he's traveling back across that brook. And he's hobbling. He's hobbling. And he's limping. Remember, he's been almost reduced to a cripple. And his wives, who love him and are extremely concerned, they cry out, Jacob, Jacob. And Jacob responds and he says, don't call me Jacob anymore, <laughs> but call me Israel. I suspect that maybe some of us need to go through the experience of a name change here this morning. Going from the supplanter, the heel catcher, to someone who is a prince of God, someone who is governed by God. You guys have been wonderful hanging in there with me for this message. And uh, like I said, most of the time we do a lot of the work for you here. And that's good. But uh, So thanks for hanging in there. You know, I want you to think about the things that we've been talking about. You know, maybe you need to just slip those things on over to the Lord and make that kind of a commitment with God. And just receive that new name change, if you will, right? No longer are you going to live by your wit. You're just going to completely surrender your life to Christ. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be. When you look back at your life, what moments stand out to you? There are probably some pretty great ones, getting married, having kids, graduations, and celebrations. But I imagine there are also a few you'd rather not remember. The ones that come back to run through your head at night as you try to fall asleep. 
When we take a look at the stories of some of the Genesis characters, we see it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. These people you meet made their fair share of mistakes, but that didn't disqualify them from being used by God. God built a nation from human beings who were far from perfect. And guess what? He wants to use you too. God has a plan for your life, and you can faithfully follow Him in the way He has made for you. You can be forgiven of your sins and start fresh, remembering the faithfulness of God since the beginning of time. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today in the Word with Pastor Mike Venizio and in my Father's house. This program is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. Check us out online at harvestnyc.org. There you'll find service times and our easy-to-find location. We have easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. If you aren't close enough to drop by, you can find links to our online streaming and more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thank you for joining us today. We're out of time for now, but come back and feast on the Word with us next time in My Father's House. Oh, my heart, not be troubled.